We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. He steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown. Ryan Burns to the house. This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater, throw into the end zone. Touchdown. Samuel still on his feet inside the five. And welcome to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Billy Marshall, and to help me preview the upcoming opponent this Sunday, the Kansas City Chiefs, I am joined by Matt Lane, at Chief in Carolina. It's where you can find him on Twitter. He is a contributor for the SB Nation affiliate for the Chiefs, Arrowhead Pride. Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good right now. Thank you guys for having me on. I pre- greatly appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this game that's coming up. I think it's going to be uh, pretty fun. It should be a pretty fun game. You know, the Panthers have been a lot more exciting to watch than I thought they were going to be coming into the season. So I'm excited for this one. Yeah, definitely. And you, you never know what you're going to expect with them. They've been relatively 
frisky as a competitor. You saw them a couple weeks ago uh, really take the Saints down to the wire. Uh, last week wasn't great, but uh, McCaffrey is returning, and we'll get into that here shortly. But first, I want to talk about the Chiefs. Defending Super Bowl champions, there was a lot of expectations for this team, and it looks like through seven, eight weeks, midpoint of the season, they've held serve. They've kind of been what we expected. They went into Baltimore and shut down the Ravens, and I mean, they had a tough loss against Las Vegas, but outside of that, it's been pretty much as expected. Am I wrong? No, not at all. And it's weird kind of being a Chiefs fan. We went through so many years of my life of not being particularly relevant. And then all of a sudden that switch flipped. And now just about every game, you're kind of the favorite. And even a win, when you blow out the Jets, you almost find yourself trying to find ways to pick holes in the team for just for absolutely no reason, completely forgetting where you were. So I think all Chiefs fans are trying to understand that having one loss at this point in time, which was a pretty fluky half based on everything else that we've seen, of how they're going to play and just accepting that this team is really good. Everything's gone according to plan. They're not dealing with too many injuries right now. I mean, Chris Jones now is placed on the reserve COVID list, but hopefully that's just through contact tracing and nothing else. Pretty healthy team winning most of their games. I mean, it's been a good year to be a Chiefs fan right now. I first want to get into your offense and, you know, the best player arguably in the world is Patrick Mahomes. I don't think there's any question about that. And if there is, then, they probably don't know what they're watching, but what has been his level of growth that you've seen this year, or has he just performed about as you'd expect? I know there's been some ringlings among the analytics community about some of his production. I don't really pay attention to that. When I, whenever I watch the Chiefs, he looks like he's playing great football, so I don't really care too much. But I know you studied the film a lot. What has been your impression of his performance this season? So the biggest jump for me came actually between kind of the MVP season and last year. You could just tell the game slowed down a little bit for him, and he's carried that into the seasons. Like, he's only getting better in terms of reading a defense pre-snap, making really quick side adjustments post-snaps. Like, he's mentally catching up to the other guys that are at the top of their quarterback game right now, and that's really scary when you pair that with his just physical ability to essentially do whatever he wants with the football from any angle at any point in time. Yeah, I think he's been a little bit riskier this year than years past. He's tried to put the ball purposely, not necessarily in harm's way, but into tighter windows. And that's where you see some of the analytics coming out with turnover-worthy throws and his completion percentage above expectation isn't super high. But when you just watch the game, he looks like he's in control almost all of the time. And Mm -hmm. even some of those risky plays are very calculated. So just the level of calculation he puts into each and every play, I think is what's most surprising for how young of a player he is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a a joy to watch him play. I mean, I saw that game last week. He had that one, um, that one throw where he was rolling out to his left and threw it across his field. I mean, it only went like 13 or 14 yards, but just his ability athletically to pull those off is kind of remarkable. Um, and I want to get into this offensive line because I know there's been a lot of discussion, you know, among Chiefs Twitter, and I follow a few of you guys about the level of play from the offensive line. I think we know by now that their two bookend tackles, Fisher and Schwartz, are pretty reliable. Um, but how is the interior of the offensive line? Uh, I mean, they lost, um, I believe it was Juvenile Chardif. He opted out. Uh, I believe he's a, working as a doctor in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Um, But what's been the situation like with the other parts of the interior? It's been a major work in progress. 
And I would even go out to Mitchell Schwartz if he's able to play for this game. I believe he is back at practice this week, but I'm not 100% sure he's going to go or not. So you might even see Mike Rimmers, uh, old familiar face. Yeah. And starting at right tackle. And that has been about what you guys would expect so far. But uh, on the interior, it's a lot of new guys. So Andrew Wiley took over Laurent DuVernay-Tardif's place, and he's been sub-average, I would say, most of the time. He still looks like a very young player that went undrafted and then worked really hard to get onto a pro team. Recently, the Chiefs have had to sub in Daniel Kilgore at center and then uh, Allegretti at left guard. And they work well in some plays, especially run blocking. They do seem to provide a little bit more power in the run game, which isn't something people associate with the Chiefs. But that's been a nice thing to see. But you can take advantage of that interior group and pass protection. It has not been particularly pretty. The hard part is just getting Mahomes down once you get by them. Yeah, I would definitely say that's pretty true for a lot of offensive lines, and especially just watching the Chiefs. That's uh, been my impression. I mean, to be honest with you, I was kind of like a Mike Remmers apologist. I always felt that he got a bad rap when he was here just because of the Super Bowl, and he was facing arguably the best ad rush in the NFL that game, Von Miller. But, I mean, he's serviceable as you know a backup right tackle. I don't really see too many issues with that. But I want to move on now to your – uh, skill players and uh, first I want to start with the running backs uh, there's been a lot of discussion I've seen about the offense as a whole regarding how much they're rushing running the ball and how much they're passing it especially on early downs and obviously I think a lot of that was attributed to them drafting uh, Clyde Edwards Elaire in the first round and I lo- I really did like the pick I know a lot of um, other analytics types had some questions about it <laughs> but then they also signed Le'Veon Bell and he looked pretty good last week I, I watched the game uh, earlier today so just what's been your impression of the running back room and how the offense has been kind of distributing the run-pass ratio? Because I, I do think it's gotten a little bit of criticism from some parts. Yeah, I don't fully understand the criticism at this point in time. The Chiefs are still very much towards the top of the league in terms of early down pass rate. They really don't stick to the run unless teams are going to play super light in the box. And I think that was part of their goal with bringing in a running back so early in the draft was if we're going to face light boxes all the time, if we're going to play against linebackers that are stepping off rather than Reed stepping towards the line of scrimmage, why not run the ball more? So you've seen some games where that's been very successful. Other games, whether the running backs or the offensive line, haven't been able to make that work entirely. But I mean, overall, the run game's more reliable than it was last year, which only makes the Chiefs offense more dangerous once you start getting later in the year or into the playoffs. And the biggest thing I've seen right now is they're still struggling to find out how to best utilize these running backs in the passing game. I think that's where you're going to see the most growth as the season keeps going on. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was one of the best receiving running backs to come out in a while from when he was coming out of LSU, and they've really struggled to get him incorporated. Le'Veon Bell's kind of taken some of those third-down running back reps since he's got here, and he still looks like Le'Veon Bell, but they're almost still either a screen or a checkdown player rather than part of the actual play. So just it's going to be interesting to watch as the season goes on if they can figure out how to get these guys isolated a little bit more and how to take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, just from what I've seen, I mean, it looks like they're doing a pretty good job of it. Uh, I agree with you. I know you've pushed back on it on Twitter a few times too. Um, But what has the, I guess, the other option of Le'Veon brought to the running back room as a whole? Has it changed the dynamic at all? 
Yeah, he's gotten quite a few more touches than I would have expected. Clyde Odilaire still gets the majority of the snaps, but just in terms of the touch ratio, Le'Veon Bell's actually come in and eaten quite a bit into that. Now, I don't know how much of that was skewed against with him playing against the Jets. I do think the Chiefs were trying to give him every opportunity to make some plays against his former team. Andy Reid's a very player-centric coach, so if he could make Le'Veon Bell happy by giving him more opportunities, I think that might skew the numbers a little bit. But for the most part, I mean, you're going to get a pretty – you're going to see mostly Edward Zilaire out there. Le'Veon Bell is going to come in on third downs or short yard situations. He's the bigger of the two. I wouldn't say the Chiefs offensive line makes it really hard in short yard situations. They don't usually get a ton of push and both running backs are kind of patient runners. So Le'Veon Bell's, you know, extra 20, 30 pounds helps him in those short yard mm-hmm. situations. And that's mostly where he's coming in right now. Hopefully as the year goes along, it doesn't become quite as predictable. But right now, Le'Veon Bell, when he's in there, he seems to be getting touches at a much higher rate than the other running backs. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised to see him, you know, get a few more touches than I was expecting, um, especially last week, I guess, because he wanted to, he was facing his former team. So there was a little bit of um, revenge angle to it. Moving to the wide receivers, and this is one of the more fascinating units in the entire league, because I think the one area that they all kind of present is speed. I mean, you look at Tyreek Hill, Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, he's having a really uh, solid season. And and obviously, Nicole Hardman, who they drafted in the second round last year. Um, I mean, what is it about this receiving core that kind of just makes the offense run so efficiently? Yeah, it will, even there are guys that are considered more of their possession receivers, which you get Sammy Watkins could be back this week. Again, another guy that's, I think, practicing mm-hmm. again now. And then, like you mentioned, Byron Pringle, those two guys are probably their biggest receivers, but they're both still plenty fast, even by NFL standards. So it's just all that speed on the field. You can get vertical routes from any single player lined up, and that includes Travis Kelsey or these running backs. You're constantly facing a threat of a vertical play. And then when you have Patrick Mahomes' arm talent, he can throw the ball downfield from anywhere in the pocket side of the field. And that's just incredibly hard on defenses to keep all of these guys in front of you all the time and then still defend everything else they can throw at you over the middle or with Patrick Mahomes scrambling. But yeah, just that speed paired with Patrick Mahomes' arm is one of the deadlier combos in the NFL right now. Yeah, I mean it's 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 really fun to watch. Um, and what's how has Travis Kills uh, performed this year? I mean, probably the best tight end in the NFL. I don't think many people are going to argue with it. Maybe the fans in San Francisco will. But how has he played in, in your estimation? he's been great this year. I think Travis Kelsey kind of goes through a cycle most seasons. He starts out camp a little bit out of shape. And then the first few weeks of the season, he works back into shape. And then by the midway point, he's kind of back to the normal Travis Kelsey that Chiefs fans envision all the time. And not that he's ever bad, but there's definitely a gearing up process for him. This year, I think with the way the offseason shook out, he started week one in midseason form and he's never looked back. I think the Chiefs are isolating him a little bit less by himself. They're asking him to beat corners, you know, and man coverage on the backside of formations a little bit less this year, at least so far. They're just allowing him to be that middle of the field safety net for Patrick Mahomes. And they find him an awful lot because he's got some of the best zone awareness out of any, not even just tight ends, but any player in the league. He finds soft spots in the zones incredibly well. And that's what they're just letting him do over the middle of the field as most teams are kind of transitioning to playing purely zone against the Chiefs right now yeah and, and then that brings me to my next point here is that I mean I don't know if you've had a chance to watch the Panthers defense especially in the last few weeks 
Uh, I mean, it, it has, I, I think, a lot to do with their injury and just their talent level isn't at a level where they can implement a lot of pattern matching or diverse coverages to really confuse the offense. So, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what to expect this week, but from what I've seen the past few weeks, I expect them to do a lot of spot drops. So that definitely plays into the hands of uh, the Chiefs' offense. And, I mean, Andy Reid especially is one of the better uh, play designers in the league, especially against creating zone beaters. And I, I expect him to do plenty of those on Sunday. Yeah, the Panthers will have to be really careful with how if they are not able to run. I haven't paid as much attention as I probably need to at this point in time. Usually I get to the upcoming opponent's film, you know, tonight or tomorrow morning. But from what I've heard and seen around a little bit watching, that's definitely a lot of zone. And if you're not going to match against what the Chiefs are doing, if you're not going to be having, especially when the Chiefs go into their three-by-one formations, if you don't have one of the weak side and backside safeties ready to guard those deep overs, the Chiefs are going to wear you out running from one side of the field to the other and throwing the ball over that second-level defender, the hook defenders. So you got to be ready to cover that. And even if once you start slowing that down, like you said, Andy Reid gets into these different four verticals or all these different levels concepts incredibly well. If you're predictable in your zone coverage, the Chiefs will find a way to eat it up. But you've seen teams like the Chargers or in the Super Bowl last year, the 49ers, they predominantly played zone against them. They just did a lot more matching. So when you're running out of spaces, it was a little bit harder for the Chiefs to implement all that stuff. They still figured it out in both cases. But hopefully, for the Panthers' sake at least, not you know for my sake particularly, but hopefully for the Panthers' sake, they have some stuff up their sleeve to catch the Chiefs and those tendencies of running those deep overs. Yeah, and I think one thing that, you know, it helps a little. I mean, the reason why they had difficulty with the Saints and the Falcons is those offenses are tailored um, for just quick dropbacks and quick throws, especially against the Saints. I mean, Drew Brees, I don't know if he threw many incompletions. They were mainly his air yard uh, per target was certainly low. So I, I will say that the Panthers have done a pretty decent job of limiting explosive plays. Uh, but, I mean, the Chiefs are a different animal, especially with the speed they have at the skill position. Um, so this is going to be challenging for them. And, I mean, it is for every defense. For sure. And some the Chiefs kind of opened up last week with, with the Jets, and uh, we'll have to see how the Panthers play it. But the Chiefs ran, I mean, double digits easily, kind of some slant flat RPOs, but they would have the running back on the same side as a running to the same side that he's lined up on. So it kind of messes with your RPO principles as a defense. And they were able to throw these slants in behind these guys. They were having to play the run over and over again. I hadn't seen the Chiefs run that many slants in a game in since Andy Reid has been the head coach. So that's just something to keep an eye on because I wonder if that's going to be a staple for the Chiefs going forward or if they saw something specific the Jets were doing. But if your linebackers aren't going to be on their P's and Q's and be caught coming forward a little bit, the Chiefs will throw a lot of slants off those RPO looks right behind them over and over again. Yeah, I, I can certainly see that happening. I want to transition now to the defense. And before we get into each of the uh, different position groups, this was a unit that went underwent quite a bit of transformation last season when they hired Steve Spagnuolo. I mean, they hired new position coaches too. And obviously, I mean, Spags is well known, I think, throughout the, uh, throughout the NFL by this point uh, due to you know, his Super Bowls with the Giants too. But, I mean, it is 2020. I haven't really watched the Chiefs' defense as much as I probably should. I know they're talented. 
but you follow them closely. What type of schematic principles has he implemented in his time that's really given them a boost on that side of the ball? You definitely get a lot of match zone coverage. You're getting a lot of match quarters, as I would say, where he bases the philosophy out of. But then what Steve Spagnuolo has done so great, I think it's once about the midpoint of last year, once the guys got used to you know, his verbiage and everything, he just mixes it up nonstop. There's been stretches where he has gone with the cover zero blitz for four straight plays against younger quarterbacks, just trying to throw them off. There's been other plays where he's rushed three. He's dropping defensive tackles and defensive ends at the same time in the coverage. It's really hard to peg him down. He throws out tendency breakers nonstop to where it's hard to put a label on what he does. But I'd say for the most part, you're going to see a lot of match three, match quarters. You're going to not have too many defensive backs running across the entire field unless they're blitzing. They're going to try to make you get the ball out and be a little confused. And they'll probably let you run the ball a little bit unless they've decided this is a week they need to shut down the run. Teams can definitely find success when the Chiefs are just playing their pretty vanilla package on defense. Yeah, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. And I want to get first into the defensive line. I mean, you mentioned earlier Chris Jones. Is, I'm not sure what his status is. Maybe you can update me here in a second. But, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty talented group, especially, I mean, talking about the defensive line here. Um, yeah, I, I've seen, like you said, uh, Chris Jones. But Pinnell, who you guys re-signed, he's a really strong run stuffer. And uh, the Tano, I can't pronounce his last name, <laughs> from Villanova. I remember scouting him when he was coming out. Uh, I think he, just watching him um, in a few games, he has 18 pressures, which I think is pretty good. Uh, what's been your impression of this unit as a whole? So with Chris Jones, I, from my understanding, he was in close contact with somebody that did test positive for COVID, which was the kind of the head athletic trainer for the Chiefs. So I believe at minimum, that's a five-day quarantine. So I don't believe he'll be, and I can't quote me on this, but I don't believe he will be able to play in the game if that's the case. And that's what I've heard so far. But Besides him, I mean, the Chiefs can be stout up the middle. When they put Derek Nottie and Mike Pinnell, both of those defensive tackles in there, I mean, you have a hard time running up the middle. And then you mentioned Tano Passigno on one defensive inside spot. Across from him, you have Frank Clark. That might be two of the better run-defending defensive end pairs in the NFL. The issue comes in out if you're going to miss Chris Jones, and Frank Clark's dealing with a little bit of an injury too, there's not a ton of pass rush coming directly from that defensive line unit. They are pretty much a two-man show and then blitzing on top of that with Frank Clark and Jones leading the charge. Tano Passino has been a quality player for him, but he hasn't really taken that next step that I think a lot of fans wanted to see this year. Rookie Mike Danis in a built completely differently, but a similar mold, a very good run defender, doesn't have a lot of dynamic ability as a pass rusher. So if they're missing Jones and you get less than a fully healthy Frank Clark, the Chiefs will have to manufacture pressure to get Teddy Bridgewater off his spot. And I do think if that's the case, the Panthers should have some time to throw the ball, at least when the Chiefs are blitzing. You know, yeah, that's certainly an interesting point. And with McCaffrey returning this week, I mean, Joe Brady, their offensive coordinator, he has been a little more early down run tendencies uh, this season than I would probably uh, prefer, but they have had some decent success doing it when McCaffrey returning. I don't know how much of this is replicable because what the Raiders did was, like you said, a little fluky. But if they can just run the ball and try to control large portions of the clock, 
um, then that gives them, you know, a fighting chance. I mean, will it be enough? I don't know. And I'm sure we'll get into those shortly. But I, I just think that, and again, it depends. I mean, McCaffrey hasn't played for nearly two months, so who knows if he's going to look the same. The Chiefs have a tendency to let running – not let. Uh, that's probably the wrong way to put it. But the Chiefs have a tendency to make some running backs look really, really good because their tackling on the second level can be really poor. They've actually had to make a couple changes at linebacker already because they the tackling, especially out of their nickel or buffalo package, depends on how strict you want to go with the terminology – has been pretty bad. The linebackers aren't particularly fast. If you get Willie Gay off the field, then he's only playing in base. So you get some guys that are a little bit late to fill some gaps. They don't always wrap up incredibly well. So I could see no matter who's running the ball for the Panthers, finding success on early downs. The kind of gold nugget for the Chiefs, though, is if Chris Jones can't play, they might be forced into that defensive tackle pairing that is significantly better against the run. I believe last year they allowed over a yard and a half less yards per carry when Chris Jones was off the field. And it would be because Mike Pinnell and Derek Nottie were the two guys taking all those snaps. So that would be the one thing that could lend towards the Panthers throwing the ball a little bit more early on. Yeah, certainly. And let's get in. I mean, you mentioned earlier, the pass defense is certainly going to be a big factor in this game. And just looking at their secondary, I mean, Thornhill is a player I loved coming out of college. I know, you and a few other guys of Chiefs Twitter also loved him. And I'm, I'm glad he ended up in a good organization. And uh, Sorensen, he's had a few just critical turnovers, I feel like, especially in clutch moments. And then um, obviously, Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, those are your, your safeties on the back end. But what's the situation like with uh, you know the, the, two, the two or three cornerbacks that you have right now? And how do this group overall as a whole, um, how is it sort of constructed? So the Chiefs secondary definitely funnels through those safeties. I mean, they went out and they got Tyron Matthew, they drafted Juan Thornhill, and then Dan Sorensen is a very volatile player. There's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad. This year's actually probably been his best season, this entire season so far. So the safety group is strong, but that cornerback group is just so up and down. To start the year, fourth-round rookie, Legereus Sneed looked like a steal. He just came back. I don't believe he's going to be active from this game from a broken collarbone. So you're going to get Charvarius Ward and Bashad Breland starting on the outside. And both guys are bigger, really physical corners. But if you can press them vertically, they don't quite have the speed and the flexibility to turn and run very well. And Charvarius Ward in particular has not had a great start to this year. His ability to track the ball downfield is subpar. And multiple teams now have been able to attack him vertically. Just the issue is, besides the Raiders game, the issue is the Chiefs offense is out to such a big lead and the pass rush is cooking that it's just hard to target him over and over again. But I think the Panthers' weapons, I mean, just how talented those guys are, especially just in terms of being quick and fast, they're going to present quite the challenge for those two bigger physical corners, especially if the refs are going to call it a little stricter than some other times. Yeah, and, and I think one aspect of this game that's really going to determine it, especially I'm a little on the offensive side for Carolina, is going to be the offensive line. And they have not played well uh, the last few weeks, especially their left guard, Chris Reed. He's certainly a, a problem for them. So I can imagine Kansas City running a lot of stunts maybe to really get Reed in a position where he's having to um, either just – pass off rushers and get him to uh, transition back to the center, in, which he has not been good at, mind you. And Russell Okung, uh, their left tackle, he is 
uh, well, it looks like he did practice um, this week in a limited role. So they're, they're hopeful that he's going to play. Uh, but I think Frank Clark certainly has an opportunity to really, um, you know, kind of affect uh, Carolina's pass game. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. I hope so, just because I'm about the biggest Frank Clark fan that there can be. And coming from like the Chiefs' perspective, a lot of fans weren't real happy with letting Justin Houston go, trading D Ford, and then trading draft picks and paying Frank Clark. They didn't like the move. And he kind of hushed them a little bit in the playoffs last year with a fantastic run. But I would say since our Las Vegas Raiders game this year, he has not looked quite as dynamic as a pass rusher. I know this week he's dealing with a knee injury, so he's been limited in practice this week. Maybe that's been affecting him. But he has, he's been a few weeks since he's had a really good game as a pass rusher. And like I said, if Chris Jones can't play, and if you're still getting that same version of Frank Clark right now, whether it's being a little dinged up or something else, I do think the Panthers' offensive line will be able to hold up against the Chiefs' you know, four-man pass rush. It just it gets tricky because Steve Spagnuolo will blitz. I think there's been a couple occasions this year, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, where the Panthers have been a little susceptible to the blitz coming in, whether the offensive line not picking it up or Teddy Bridgewater not getting the exact right protection called. But the Chiefs will challenge them, you know, showing a lot of different pressures and bringing it from all over the place if they need to. Yeah, I'll be curious to see. Um, you know, how Carolina is able to deal with the pass rush, especially blitzes they have not been able. Their protection schemes especially. Um, I mean, it, it's it's a combination of things. And Jeff Schwartz pointed this out the other day. Uh, sometimes it can be Teddy Bridgewater not identifying um, the blitzer. So the running back could go in the right direction. Sometimes it's not him uh, finding the hot route when he an uncovered safety or corner is coming on a, um, on a net from the edge. So there's a lot of factors that they can just – their ability to pick up blitzes also is going to be key. Uh, will they be able to do that? I'm not sure. Uh, but I do think offensively they, they will have um, a good amount of opportunity to move the ball and uh, score some points. And uh, I expect the same from the Chiefs. Yeah, that's where I am right now. I I don't know what the Chiefs' mindset is currently going to be on this. They're going to after this game, they get to the bye week and then they get the Raiders who just beat them and did some silly stuff like trying to request to do a drive around the block before getting back on the plane and stuff like that. So the, the Chiefs might be looking ahead a little bit to getting some rest to the next game. I don't want to say they're overlooking the Panthers by any means, but the Chiefs, especially under Andy Reid, have this weird ebb and flow of taking some games like the Baltimore Raiders seriously and then just kind of foot off the gas entirely when they go into another game and I would point to just their general lack of game specific plan against the Chargers earlier in the year so it really depends on what Chiefs level of commitment you're going to get I do think both offenses will be able to score points here especially talking through some of these injuries the Chiefs might be having on that defensive line and I think Christian McCaffrey even if he's only 90% right now, is a really bad matchup for just the, how the Chiefs usually play running backs. I think he's really good at finding cutback lanes. The Chiefs leave them open a ton. He runs like a better Philip Lindsay, and Lindsay was giving the Chiefs all kinds of fits as a runner before he had to leave that Denver Broncos game. Mm -hmm. so like I do think the Panthers will be able to move the ball. I don't think it's the best matchup for the Chiefs without Chris Jones. It's just a matter of who can score more points when push comes to shove. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you went there. And uh, I just want to preface this by saying that we at Blue Air are presented by, are sponsored by Bet Online, and they currently have this game as the Chiefs holding a ten and a half point uh, favorite. Uh, the total is fifty two and a half. Um, for me, I, I do think there's going to be plenty of points, and 
Ten and a half seems high, but then you realize that the Chiefs are covering games left and right this year. So it's not too surprising. Even last week, they were a huge favorite against the Jets, and they ended up covering. Um, but but like, what's your official like prediction? I I think I'm. I'm leaning towards maybe taking the Panthers with the backdoor cover, but I think the Chiefs should hold on for a comfortable win. That's the hard part for me because the Chiefs, like you said, have been very good at covering. And I think one of the things that they do to get these the cover is once they get a little bit of a lead, Steve Spagnuolo gets to really dig deep into that bag of tricks. And the amount of times that they get you know, an early fourth quarter turnover or big play on defense that helps the, them end up covering a game – is incredibly high just because of how well he's been coaching. So I think 10 and a half's a pretty good line. I think officially I was taking the Panthers with the points in our little pool thing that we have to do with Arrowhead Pride because 10 and a half is a lot for just the situation I think the Chiefs defense is in right now. I think I'm predicting 34 to 28 for the Chiefs right now, but maybe not being quite as close as that looks, but definitely not a blowout like last week or anything. Yeah, uh, I mean, that that's, that's sort of... Um, a pretty fair representation, in my opinion, of how this game will go. Um, well, Matt, is there anything you want to plug before you head off? I mean, I love everything you guys are doing. I thank you for having me on here. You know, if anybody wants to read a little bit about the Chiefs in this upcoming game, make sure you shoot on over to arrowheadpride.com. And any of you guys are Drafts fans, it's definitely a little bit Chiefs-centric because we are all Chiefs fans that do it. But we have a Casey draft guide that we release every year. A couple of us that write for Arrowhead Pride, we put a lot of work into it. You can follow me on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Link out once we start pre-selling it. But it's just another area to get your draft knowledge in. A lot of us just draft nerds, like I'm sure plenty of people listening to this are, we love doing it and digging through all the film. So we'd greatly love to, you know, you guys support if you guys ever want some more information. And not it's not all about the Chiefs. It's a lot about prospects, but there's a little bit of a Chiefs twist to that as well. Yeah, and I can certainly endorse that. I mean, I think you guys do a tremendous job uh, covering the draft. I have ordered your draft guide, and it's, it's certainly a <laughs> – anyone it's definitely informative has a ton of great content a lot of uh, just perfect information the tables are formatted in a way where it's easy to digest it's really a one of the more one of the better draft guides out there so i certainly recommend that to anyone and they just they cover the draft really well um starting from the shrine game all the way up until the nfl draft and when the undrafted free agents are announced too so you can find him again on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matt, thank you again for joining. Oh, thank you for having me, Billy. Anytime. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, figgins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.